Welcome to the Jim and Mickey Show. I am Jim Garrity, joined by Mickey White. It is right at the cusp of October. It's around time to wake up Green Day. They sang the whole song about it, Wake Me When September Ends. It's almost over. I am Jim Garrity, joined by Mickey White, as always. And we have a full stack of things going on in the realm of pop culture. Also, Mickey is dealing with, um, apparently the construction of the towering inferno directly above her head. So <laughs> <laughs> yes, if you hear now. noises in the background, just understand that that's all good. It's fine. It's just, it's progress being made inside the house. That we'll just call it that. Um, so again, I am so excited to be back. I want to upfront thank all of our listeners who have just made the last several episodes, some of our record setting, um, lo- most listened to episodes ever. So that's obviously super exciting. And, um, and Jim, it is that time of year, which is normally the most wonderful time of year. But of course, this year, we don't have really much to talk about when it comes to football. But I feel like we should at least mention that Vontez Perfect has been suspended for the remainder of the season. Now, I happen to be in the camp that says good. And also, this should have happened a long time ago, because I happen to believe that the hit that he laid on Antonio Brown was what kind of pushed him over into crazy town. Because, like, he was always a diva, mm-hmm. but that was a really significant concussion that he suffered, and, and Vontez laid it on him. Yeah, uh, to bring anybody up to speed, if you if the news hasn't reached you by the time you're hearing this podcast, uh, Vontae Perfect is a, line, was a linebacker for the, the, the Oakland Raiders, right? You know, um, And yes. he is... You know, has a reputation of being one of the dirtier players in the league. Well, he was uh, a, he was a bungle for years. Yeah, so you know, he was uh, he he was recently announced. The he, he had a real rough hit on a wide receiver in the last game, helmet to helmet, um, and he has had several run-ins with league policy over uh, this sort of thing in the past. Suspended for the remainder of the season, which would be, I believe, twelve more games um, for the Raiders, and you know that's. That's coming down about as hard as a guy is, about as hard as the league can. Also, if I remember correctly, wasn't Vontae Burfick the guy who had to break up a fight between Antonio Brown and the general manager of the Oakland Raiders during training camp? Oh, yeah. That was one of the highlights of um, training camp for me. And obviously during the highlight of the time of A.B. being at the Raiders was that the morning that A.B. Antonio Brown decided to call Mike Mayock a cracker. <laughs> It was Vontaze Perfect that I had to hold him back, which is, I don't know, some kind of irony that just wraps itself. Yeah, you know, Perfect holding somebody back is kind of like hearing Charles Manson saying, "Okay, everybody, calm down a little bit. Let's let's not get crazy." Right. Why is everybody this is, overreacting? This is a little too helter skelter for my taste. Yes. <laughs> when he is the good guy in the circle, you're in the wrong circle. Yes. Um, you know. It's odd because we I know we've all seen te- times where uh, a defensive end or linebacker on our team brushes up against a quarterback, you know, sneezes on him. Although if your quarterback has mono, perhaps I shouldn't joke about that. Um, th- you know, the most most light contact <laughs> possible. The, you know, referee breaks out the yellow hanky and says, "Up, oh, that's roughing the passer. 15 yard automatic first down, you know. We can't have these guys, you know, uh, jeopardizing because, you know, good heavens, uh, Mickey, if they um, if they didn't call roughing the passer the way they did, you could see injuries to guys like Ben Roethlisberger and Drew. I was just going to say it's so weird because my quarterback spent, I don't know, the greater part of his time on his back the first several years. And it has never. Ironically, on his back was how um, on his back was how Sam Darnold caught mono, too. (laughs) Very nice. Um, 
But he took all those hits. He still continues to take hits, even up until, obviously, his injury this year. And the thing that has always amazed me is you don't get that call for hitting Ben that way. You only get that call when you're hitting someone like Precious that way. <laughs> like, say, Tom Brady by any yes. chance? Yes. I'm sorry. Uh, yes. That, that, I called him Precious because that's my little nickname for him. Uh, but, yes, I did mean, in fact, Tom Brady. Yeah. So, again, it, you know, I, I think most people's attitude would be if you're a multiple multiple infractions, okay, now the league can, you know, crack down on you a lot tougher. That, that it's one of those things where anybody – can accidentally run into somebody helmet to helmet. Sometimes you're running at a guy and you don't have, okay, like, okay, fine. You know, she, once is an accident, twice is a, you know, uh, twice is coincidence, third is, three, three times is enemy action, right? That's a, the old saying by Napoleon. So, um, you know, again, I, I, I think you, you have to look far, far and wide to find a, a, you know, passionate, perfect defender in this circumstance. Um, because it really is, you know, going to get going to knock somebody out of out of football entirely one of these days. No, and again, this is why, you know, I'm sad. I'm I'm not sad to see him go. I just wish it had happened sooner. To be completely frank with you, um, but someone who went away and came back in a way that I was not anticipating was Ziva from NCIS. And now it is my understanding that pretty much, you know, fifty percent of the audience stopped watching when Ziva left. The program. Yeah. I was However, about to. I was about to because I, I did watch it. Uh, okay. Had I had Mrs. Campaign spot my wife saying, "Stop making snarky comments." I'm trying to enjoy the show mm -hmm. uh, because I used to. You know, this, this is where I would usually joke. Ah, oh, you know, uh, NCIS in its uh, 17th season. Um, as luck would have it, uh, I, a couple of days ago, but the boys are starting to get old enough where they can watch the kind of CBS drama. Uh, my older son caught Scorpion over the summer the, when we were over in Portugal, and he loved it. So uh, I said, okay, I'm going to show him the first episode of NCIS. First episode of NCIS was in 2003, right? Yes. It's all about an assassination attempt on George W. Bush, and they have the mm -hmm. comedian Steve Bridges, who did that really good uh, impression of George yes. W. Bush making a cameo in the front. Um, so first of all, so it really has been around and it's very tough to be as in, you know, but as Ziva wasn't in that first episode. No, no, it was like four or five, maybe six seasons in, they bring her in. Um, and it's, so here's the, the frustrating thing about seeing Ziva back, um, is that by golly, she was a good character. Um, she was much more interesting and the, the chemistry and dynamics between her and Dinoza was much more interesting than, um, I keep calling her Blondie and Handy Manny. Um, <laughs> By the way, how is it, Mickey, that they've not had um, Handy Manny? What's his name? Uh, Victor Valderrama? Wilder Valderrama. Oh, okay, Wilder Valderrama, who is indeed, uh, you know, if you have kids of a certain age, he's the voice of Handy Manny. And you, every time you speak to And if you are a human of another age, he was Fez on that 70s show. There you go. So how is it they've not done a scene down at the cellar where Gibbs is working on his boat He's been working on that boat since that first episode in that you know, for the last 17 years. Mm -hmm. uh, that he's that, that at some point, why has Wilder Wilder Valderrama not said anything to Gibbs Tools? It's the ultimate uh, it joke. It's just waiting there to be made, and they haven't done it yet. I'm deeply disappointed. Oh my Let's god! Go. Sometimes yeah. your geekdom like goes to a <laughs> level that I cannot even wrap my mind around. But anyway, so yeah, short version is Zipa's back. Apparently, she looks like she's gonna be back for a couple episodes. Um, but mostly it's a reminder of how much, how much more fun the show used to be, how underwhelming the new characters are and how much this is a show that 
probably deserves to ride off into the sunset and enjoy I, retirement. I didn't quit immediately after Ziva left, but very shortly thereafter. Um, I don't think I was still around before Tony left. Mm. Um, but I did find out from other people like what the idea was. And I, like you, watched it this week. Um, and that was the first time that I had watched it in, I don't know, what that, five, six years? Seven years? I don't know. Um, but I watched it because Zipa was back. And I agree. I mean, do we know why they wrote her character off? Was that a decision made by her? Was that a decision made by CVS? There's been a lot of really interesting rumors about things not being as they should on the set of that program, which is kind of strange considering its level of success. Um, Pauly Perrette, who played um, uh, the, the, the forensic examiner. Uh, Abby. Abby, the goth girl, right? Left under very mysterious circumstances and said she didn't feel safe. Uh, Michael Weatherby, who played Dinozo and now has the program Bull, um, got into a, a you know, was accused of sexual harassment by co-star Eliza Dushku. Mm-hmm. Um, and, the, you know, all of this happening on camera and transcribed by that. And the indication doesn't make Weatherby look like a good guy. Right. Um, you know, it, it's odd that, uh, that this you, know, you keep seeing people leave this successful program um, under, you know, kind of odd, you know, tight-lipped circumstances. Well, I think For those who are hearing noises in the background, that's Gibbs working. Yeah. You've got someone like... Polly Perrette is not Abby, obviously, but the character Abby itself never grew, never developed. Their hair never changed. Like, she never became an adult. She was forever frozen as, like, the 24-year-old genius, you know, kid. And, you know, it's not nearly as cute when you're 38. Yeah, it, it's pretty uh, uh, pretty uh, frustrating, I think. That it's it's had a lot of good storylines, but the number of times we see Gibbs come in and say, "All right, grab your gear," you know, um, the you know again, it, it maybe maybe it's hard for any show to have sixteen good episodes in a row. By the way, for those right. who are well, this was in the one background, of those situations for me, uh, that's where Mickey, I had not. You know, met that's the new Gibbs on the boat behind Mickey. Um, you can hear the power tools and stuff like yes, that. Yes, yes. No, I had not met the new characters, so this they were all new to me. Um, obviously, I picked up relatively quickly. The show's exceptionally formulaic, if it's nothing else. Um, but I was again, it was weird because it was like seeing a, like an old member of the family, an old friend. Mm-hmm. Like, oh, let's see the. Yeah, and they, again, it's way. not Cody DiPiablo yeah. that I'm excited about seeing. It's Ziva. Um, also, they kind of hand wave away the fact that this means that she had a child with Tony and never told him. Right. And then she faked her own death and has abandoned that child to Tony in order uh-huh. to protect them, allegedly. Like, right. this kind of makes Ziva not look good. This, this kind of makes Ziva a character uh, pretty darn dislikable. Well, I think they tried to sell it as she was really just trying to protect the people that she loves by, you know, whatever. But it was a ludicrous story, like, to say the least. And I don't care what they use to bring her back. I'm glad she's back. Even if it's for a temporary time, it was nice to see her. But it was weird, right? Because isn't that, like, almost a admission? It's like like they're doing the reboot while the show is still airing. (laughs) Yes! (laughs) Uh, Yeah. So, you know... But anyway, so yeah, so that's going. We'll see if it gets any better. I don't know how how intensely I'll be watching. Now, this. do you normally watch it? I had fallen out of habit. Um, there there was a giant stack on my DVR that we're just never getting to. That uh, and oh, periodically, yeah, periodically, Mrs. Campaign Spot would say, "Stop complaining about it. Let me enjoy it myself." You know? <laughs> uh, 
Yeah. So, so good news, CBS. Meanwhile, Mr. Vice and I were sitting there going like, but she's dead, and where's the kid, and what happened to but but they saw her body. Like we're having ridiculous conversations because of course so, it doesn't matter. Speaking of giant comebacks, um, I, I need you to walk me through this, Mickey, because I have only seen the headlines. So Kanye's back, and I understand he's not wearing his red hat anymore. Yeah. Um, did I read correctly? He's doing a gospel album. You read that correctly. The gospel album that is coming is Jesus is Lord. And it should, they had a, he had a listening party over the weekend. People came out saying that they were, you know, it was his best album in years. Um, but one of the things that he also announced with this is that he was done doing secular music, meaning that moving forward, he would be doing gospel. Now, take this for what you want. He's been going around doing the Sunday service and preaching and singing gospel. And if he's really, you know, had his heart turned to God, then so be it. But we know how Kanye is, right? <laughs> I um, mean, am I, am I correct in assuming Kanye found reason to love Jesus because he figured out that Jesus reminded him of himself? He's always had a very, actually, he's always had a spiritual background, which is weird. His very first hit was Jesus Walks. And if you listen to it, uh, like, true. Um, you educated me on that one. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Uh, the devil's trying to bring you down, et cetera. And, um, and so, like, you know, that is his background. It's an interesting twist for him to go this direction. But there's a part of me, because you know me, I'm always looking at the angles, right? He's got some kind of ridiculous recording contract where he has to, like, keep making albums till he's dead, basically. <laughs> and I'm just wondering the if he started decided, like... Break it down. Exactly. With, with and I'm music contracts. Yeah. yeah, and I'm just wondering if he's like, you know what, I'll do a gospel album. I'm doing a gospel album. I'm going to do a gospel album. Maybe next time I'll do a jazz album. I don't know. Because like, mm -hmm. he has to keep putting out work, but I guarantee it probably doesn't specify what kind of work it has to be. <laughs> You know, by the way, like, you know, we, we've talked about this in the past, in fact, probably in the last podcast. On paper, we should be applauding artists when they say, you know what, I don't want to give you more of the same old stuff. Um, I don't want to cover territory I've already covered. I don't want to turn into a machine. You know, I don't want to turn into NCIS, um, churning out the same thing, you know, over and over again, year after year. I'm doing something different and new, experimental, and maybe it'll work out great. Maybe it won't. Now, it's, it's very, I find, okay, look. It's going to be a while before people shake the image, at least, you know, again, Mickey, you and I sometimes walk in different worlds, so to speak. Yeah. Kanye West walking into the Oval Office and having his summit with Donald Trump in there. Um, whole bunch of people who used to be Kanye fans did not like that. Whole bunch of people who had never been Kanye fans all of a sudden found a newfound appreciation of Mickey, uh, of, uh, of Kanye West. Um question at some point does he convert to armenian orthodox because of uh because <laughs> this is west it would not surprise me in the least to see that happen the latest but, reinvention yeah i mean but right now i mean he has been traveling around and actually hitting large congregations and churches i think he hit atlanta i know he's hit detroit um and done these what they're calling sunday services if you haven't seen them you can go and they're online they're everywhere Just google Kanye Sunday service, and you can see him both taking on the role of both a preacher as well as a gospel singer mm -hmm. and rapper. So it's 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 truly um, an interesting twist for him. But again, it's not that far off from what he was doing with College Dropout, his first album. Hmm. Uh, 
Interesting. So, but, so at this point, has any of this album leaked yet? Or is it just we're all hearing about it, rumors and, and all that kind of stuff? Well, like I said, there was a listen party this weekend. So there are people that have heard it and have given it reviews. Let's just say it's like kind of in that, you know, think of it as a movie that's currently being reviewed but hasn't been released to the public yet. Mm-hmm. It's in that stage. Um, and it's my understanding, like I said, it's getting solid reviews. I read this morning several different reviews suggesting that it was some of his best work. And All right. so I think it'll be really interesting to see what it's like when it comes out. But again, you know, Kanye's funny. He's going to keep doing whatever he wants. But I don't think that it should be lost on anyone that his two boys are named Saint and Psalm. Hmm. Well, that's a good point. So and how did they end up with North? Um, honestly, according to what I saw, I'm keeping up with the Kardashians. Initially, someone kind of said it to them as a joke, like, oh, are you going to name Northwest? Yeah, I, and, I remember the thing, the middle name would be By North. Yeah. And, or the full uh, name would be North by Northwest. It was just one of those things where, like, somebody said it jokingly, and the more they talked about it, the more they liked the name, because they really, they could, like, call her Nori or Northy, you know, whatever. And, and, the, um, and it really did come from someone suggesting it kind of like offhandedly. And then the more they were tossing around names and whatever, she kept coming back to it because she thought it was clever. Mm-hmm. And so that's how North came about. And then Chicago is named after his hometown. Uh, Saint. Well, at that time, he was doing the St. Pablo tour. I so say as a uh, person who'd kind of like to see greater uh spirituality and and focus upon right and wrong and and you know things that i think traditional religion can be a good source for in public life i, I suppose there's a part of me that should applause this and so kanye you know kudos good luck i'll i'll give a i'll attempt to check this out i will point out though that i believe it was very early in his career when he posed on the cover of rolling stone with a crown of thorns um Perhaps that's what gives me a little bit of okay. I think that was. I actually think that was for the college dropout for that release, which of course would have included Jesus Walks, which would explain the imagery. The only thing that Rolling Stone would know. Yeah, I mean that line between "I am Christian" and "I am like Jesus Christ" is a real fine one. (laughs) I kind of felt like that photo shoot kind of. I don't think that Kanye is the best person to try to walk that fine line either. (laughs) I understand what you're saying. Like, it would not surprise me since they bought all this like area out in Wyoming. Maybe they're going to start their own little like Kanye cult. I don't know, but what I do know is that this is what he's doing currently. The branch Kanyeans. What's that? The branch Kanyeans. Got their purple robes and their Nikes. (laughs) I don't know if he wears Nikes because, like, he has his own shoes, so he'd have Yeezys on. Nike lost out on that endorsement deal. Yep, everybody's gonna have Yeezys on, not Nikes. Oh God. All right, uh, peeps, I'm pulling it together now. Jim just made me laugh really, really hard. Um, because the Kanye Vinians are my new favorite. There we go. That'd be a great band, a great band name. Um, mm-hmm. <laughs> so, uh, speaking of... Uh, anything more to say on Kanye, or should we move on to a completely different kind of crazy cult? Well, tell me about the other crazy cult you want to talk about. Um, so, you apparently are watching... We're, we're, you know, the, new fall shows are, the new fall shows are starting to get rolled out. There's very little... 
that I've been really itching or you know, I've kind of jumped on and said, oh, that looks great. That's something I got to watch. Um, one that looked kind of intriguing was Prodigal Son, um, another entrant in the serial killer genre. So, in fact, as soon as I saw the first trailer, I was like, oh, that's a Mickey show right there. Um, but it features, I believe it's Mike, the actor's name is Michael Sheen, who you've seen from a bunch yes. of things. Mm-hmm. I think of him as Tony Blair because he's played Tony Blair in several consecutive movies, including the one about um, Queen Elizabeth. Uh, he did one about Bill Clinton. Uh, every time I see him in a movie, I just picture former British Prime Minister Tony Blair acting in that role, including one of the Twilight films. That's fair. And now he's a serial killer. Yeah. So, uh, so the gist is FBI profiler or detective or something like that. And his dad is a serial killer played by Michael Sheen. And together, they, it's, it's like Silence of the Lambs. But, oh, my dad happens to be a serial killer. Is that the gist? Yes and no. Um, yes, to a certain degree, but here the thing is, like, you meet the, the characters very early on and kind of see what direction this is going. The father is a serial killer. The son is an FBI agent. Um, he's a profiler who's very, very good at what he does. And, of course, part of that is because he spent a great deal of time with his father, asking him questions, doing mm-hmm. things with him. Um, but after he felt like he had gathered everything that he could from his dad, he stopped speaking to him. And so the way that this kind of opens up is there's a situation going on um, and, and they've got a case that, you know, they're having trouble solving and they, he realizes that it's connected to his dad's old case as a copycat. And so he realizes that his father's been in communication with someone who, do, who did this. And so he realizes he has to get back and talk to him and whatever. And the two of them ultimately end up coming up. You know, he gets the information out of him and he goes and whatever. It's not so much the Clary Starling thing because they're a father-son thing. So there's that strained relationship. Mm-hmm. It's a weird father-son show, actually. Um, because there's that strained, like, you know, relationship between the father and the son for all the things that he had done. And yet, that sometimes you can see the more human connection because they are mm-hmm. father um, and son. Um, but basically, I mean, it's going to be one of those. We absolutely, we're going to chase serial killers. We're going to use a serial killer to catch serial killers. I like the cast. I was pleasantly surprised with the writing, so I'm looking forward to see how it goes. Good. All right, because I, I had looked to it. There's a part of me that was like. The problem with serial killer characters, and you know, even and you and I have had discussed this in the past. That you know, Hannibal Lecter came along and he kind of made serial killers cool. Mm-hmm. And he made them, you know, urbane and sophisticated and sipping fine wine and you know, knowing art and history. You know, the idea of it's almost like uh, Jonathan Goldsmith's the, Do- the Dos Equis, most interesting man in the world. Except Maybe you he likes watch eat this. Food. Yeah, he likes to eat human because lips. he's got bookcases in his. Jail cell, and he was a doctor. And, and you've he, done, you know, he was a surgeon, of course. Mickey, you are probably among the foremost disturbingly well informed uh, amateur experts on serial killers. Um, if you had any more interest or knowledge in this, I'd probably be calling the police. You should. And- you know, and I, and it, actually, what you just said about me is like honoring, and so thank you. I feel there fine. you go. So you know, you know, because I wrote about the, I made a reference to this at some point in some, uh, you know, something I wrote for National Review, and somebody wrote in and gave a couple examples of serial killers who are doctors. Okay, yes, there are a few, but by and large, will you agree with me that most people who are serial killers are not urbane sophisticates who have three degrees and a PhD in art history and you know 
all that nonsense and our, our gourmet chefs on the side and all that kind of stuff. Yes, I will tell you this, that the majority of them cannot handle that type of um, compartmentalization. Mm-hmm. But it is absolutely true that we have had doctors that were serial killers. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, you know, and we've, we've had psychological or psychologists that were serial killers. We've had people that were educated and sophisticated um, and still serial killers. They were able to compartmentalize that part of their fantasies, their lives, their lusts, their desires, that dark side that they often talk about, they're able to compartmentalize it so well that they blend in. They might be the most terrifying to me. Mm. And because... you know, on the one hand, I can understand why Hollywood uh, finds this type fascinating because it's much more interesting to do something about the urbane art history professor serial killer than the guy who looks like Charles Manson and is living in a shack and is, you know... Oh, I don't know. They like, seem to like doing movies about that, too. Well, I was about to say, like, who do you remember? Do you remember Hannibal Lecter or do you remember Buffalo Bill? Fair. Right? It I mean, puts you know, the lotion on its skin or else it gets the hose again. Right? You know, uh, even though, uh, what's his name? Is every bit as, I, I would say every bit as good actor as, as Anthony Hopkins, but a really good actor and a really mm-hmm. chilly and terrifying. What's the saying that, you know, they think um, Hopkins is on screen for like 15 minutes in that movie and yeah, he got it's like, best, it's crazy, uh, yeah. best supporting actor. You know? um, but, so there's a part of me kind of grumbles at it, but having it for at that genre and that type of character. But it sounds like if you're going to do this, they're doing this very well. Um, I guess the question is, how many? Like, at some point, is the show going to have to have some sort of reckoning with the fact that, like, you know, you're you're getting assistance on your crime from a serial killer? Um, yes, and I think they're also already addressing that up front. Like, they're okay. making a big deal about dealing with the son and you know how comfortable it is after he talks to the guy, and you know what I mean, like. They're not treating him like he's a normal human being, necessarily. Okay. Um, they're recognizing that he is a serial killer, but the son sees the value in some of the knowledge that he has. Mm. And so, like I said, it's interesting, and it helped because I liked some of the supporting characters. And again, I was pleasantly surprised with the writing. Mm. Right. And, and, you know, that's on a pilot, so that means usually good things to come. We'll see. Um you really kind of know the guts of a show after the sixth show has episode has aired and at that time it had been picked up. So then they have to continue on. That's a good point. Adjustment, you know, so that we had a really good idea. Now we don't know what to do with it is a right. sadly common point. Yeah. Um, you mentioned supporting cast and we'll stay in the realm of criminals. Um, I wanted to, so Mickey, I assume at this point you've seen the trailer for the Irishman coming out on both in theaters and on Netflix, like a month later this fall. Yes. Okay. For those who have not seen it, the Irishman is the most Martin Scorsese ish Martin Scorsese film you've ever seen. And, uh, you, you know, listeners have heard the noise of, uh, the, the Gibbs working on his boat behind Mickey Mickey, you didn't hear any of this, but actually Mrs. Campaign Spot came in, fetched something from the kitchen, and ran back behind me without making any noise. So that's the stealthy cat-like response of my wife. But I wanted to point out, I saw the trailer for The, the Irishman. I liked it. It's got, uh, looks like uh, Robert De Niro is the main character. Lo and behold, he's a mobster. Uh, gets involved in the mob at the low level and ends up uh, going all the way up. Uh, Al Pacino is in it playing Jimmy Hoffa. Uh, Joe Pesci is in it. Harvey Keitel is in it. You can tell it's Martin Scorsese said, hey, all the guys who've ever been in my mob movies, let's let's, let's make another one. 
And they all get, and lo and behold, they're meeting in Italian restaurants. And, and who is the Irishman based on? Uh, it's a uh, not autobiography of one of these guys. I believe it's called "I Hear I Hear You Paint Houses." Um, and by the way, apparently the reference to it was not like painting houses, as in using a paintbrush, as in you kill people and then there's blood on the walls. Um, is how that metaphor works. So that makes sense. Charming. That's actually, pretty clever. Uh, but I so I watch it, I enjoy it, but I'm like, oh my god, this is like one step removed from a Saturday Night Live parody of a Martin Scorsese film. Um, so I show Mrs. Campaign spot. I, I, I queue it up and I say, look, I'm going to show you a movie and I want you to take, I want to figure out how, how quickly you can figure out who directed this movie. And she goes, okay. I hit play. Mickey within three shots. She said, it's Martin Scorsese. <laughs> We're talking 15 <laughs> seconds in. Well, because it looks exactly like every other Martin Scorsese film. If there's or a watch Scorsese on a or however he's pronouncing his name these days. Guys but getting like, dressed, old-fashioned car. You know, you can just tell from the shots. Hey, guess this what? Is a it's, a mob, it's, it's a mob movie set in the 70s. Yeah. Set in the 70s. So guess what? It's Martin Scorsese at his finest work. I wanted to, of course, discuss more about the, the photos that have come out from the stills that have come out from <laughs> the city. You're already laughing, so you've heard this. Um, I don't know if our listeners have seen these or not, but there are some still photos of De Niro walking around on set. And it's pretty clear when there's a close-up shot of the shoes that he has, I guess they would call them, what do they call those, high lifts? or Lifts, yeah. You know. Lifts of some kind. He's got a good four inches on the bottom of each of his shoes. Platform boots, practically. Yes, he's got platform shoes to make him appear taller, because he is a short person, to make him appear taller next to the other actors. And once I saw that, like I could not get that out of my head. You know, uh, you know, gee, uh, Robert, Bobby, you seem a little taller than usual today. Are, are you are you wearing lifts? A little bit, a little bit, um, as he no doubt would say. You know, I, first of all, you're looking at that, and you're sitting thinking they can't lower the camera at all. <laughs> I mean, I'd be curious. Now I want to see Harvey Keitel, Al Pacino, because the irony is this is De Niro and Pacino. Like when they did Heat back in the 90s, mm-hmm. everybody was like, oh, my God, finally, you know. Uh, two actors who, who, by the way, I'll be perfectly honest, Mickey, for a good chunk of my early life, I thought they were the same guy. Um, or I would mix them up constantly. I couldn't tell. Well, which I one. think you're not alone in that, first yeah. of all. I think you're not alone in getting them confused. Um, I think that people do that all the time. I think one of the other things that I, I feel like I should admit this, and it feels like I'm going to confessional, so you know, you guys feel free to give me all the hell I need. Um, but when he came out, obviously that was the first time they'd ever acted together. Mm-hmm. on screen they made a big deal about it and of course it had bell kilmer in it so i was so excited to see oh. this movie like oh my god it was it like it was a really good movie it was like shoot it directly into my veins and unfortunately i did not feel as strongly about it as everyone else did i didn't like it mm. um and i know I've, I've warmed to it a little bit over the years kind of one of those things but yeah i was really highly disappointed when it first came out I will recognize that if, and maybe, yeah, again, I don't, I don't remember a ton of the marketing, but if you feel like, oh my God, we're finally getting Pacino and De Niro in the same movie and they only have the diner scene, which I think is a great scene. Um, but you know, two guys on opposite sides of the law and each one's saying, Hey, you know, I'm coming for you and I will, you know, I will take you down, you know, as, uh, as, as Pacino, you know, know, De Niro's like, well, look, if it comes between you and me getting away, I'm going to take, you know, um, 
it you know it's a perfectly good you know, great good movie it's a really enjoyable movie there's a lot that I like about it but they did another one a couple of years later called Righteous Kill which I guess in which they both played cops Mickey nobody remembers this movie and it's kind of yeah, amazing no. you know, right I mean so what's weird is that, like you know like finally these two guys they do something that for whatever reason man it just doesn't doesn't react at all um and now this is there's this one, and of course there's already Oscar buzz and and all that kind of stuff. But also, like, look, I don't know how the I got I'd have to look up the ages of Joe Pesci and Harvey Keitel and De Niro and Pacino. But you figure they're not making films for another twenty years, right? That at some point these guys are going to ride off into the sunset or something. So I think well, this, you would think so, yes. Or and Scorsese is getting up there in years. Like, yo, this is probably going to be the last great mob epic from these guys, and I think people are going to be like, okay, finally, you know. One last ride into, you know, into more Italian restaurants and shoot-ups. You know? <laughs> I just hope it's good. I hope it's watchable because, let's face it, some of Scorsese's films are fantastic, like, mind-blowingly good. And mm-hmm. some of them are just really long. And unfortunately for this one, I've already seen that it runs over three hours. Yeah, that's a little ominous, uh, mm-hmm. you know. And you know how I feel about editing. I mean, my understanding, <laughs> maybe I should put it this way, Mickey... The Irishman is the Avengers Endgame of mob movies. <laughs> it's the ultimate team up. <laughs> um, the other thing that kind of jumps out of that is that um, again, you know. So, spoiler alert for The Departed. It's been a whole lot of years. Mm. You, you've had time. Uh, you know, more accurately called The Departed, since it's the all Departed. The Departed for all the Boston characters. <laughs> uh, Mickey, you can tell that uh, the the oh, they got a great story. They got. Matt Damon, they got uh, the Wahlbergs, and, and nobody's caught any uh, terrible dread diseases because of all of uh, Jenny McCarthy and uh, all of the, uh, uh, you know, uh, Matt Damon, and, you know, and that movie's rolling along and it's doing really well. And you could tell it didn't really have a great ending. So they just said, what if everybody shoots each other? <laughs> and that's more or less how that movie ends, which is, um, eh, oh, yeah. So I, I was. I uh, feel like you missed I, the point I, of I, the Departed. I liked it. I enjoyed I really about ninety like, percent. That was one of the few yeah. that he did that I liked, and I think it was primarily because there were some, there was a little bit of trickery involved, right? And so I'm always down for a little bit of trickery at the end, and so I did like the Departed. That was that was one of those ones. But again, I, th- I feel like there's just a lot of movies that people put out that aren't good, but they have good names attached to them, so people go see them. And encourages bad behavior. I'm hoping that The Irishman is good, although I'm also thinking that as I watch it, I will be reminded of how short Bob De Niro is. <laughs> Every shot that's a low angle looking up at him. <laughs> You'll be sitting Every there. Every single one. Did they Every dig a trench single. to put the camera into? You know, or so. Um, apparently, there's I some. Think, that was I think that it shows a great deal of what we know to be. Kind of the falsehoods of Hollywood. Yeah. Um, one of my favorite actresses of all time is Minnie Driver. Um, I know, and I don't get that, but okay. okay. Well, so, you know, so one of her first films, well, the first film in America was Circle of Friends, which is this, like, very uncharacteristic for me. Uh, I, but it's one of those films you just see at the right day, at the right time, and you're in the right mood. This very sweet 1950s story about... A uh, small town girl going to college in Trinity, uh, uh, at Trinity College in, in Dublin, and you know, kind of rite of passage growing up and all that stuff. And she has a romance with Chris O'Donnell. Now, maybe you love Chris O'Donnell, maybe you don't like him, um, but my understanding is he's uh, five two, five one, four eleven, something like. That. 
he's he's pretty short. That is my understanding. I don't know exactly how tall he is, but you're right. He's okay. really like a short person. And apparently, Mini Driver is either close to six. She's right. So apparently, there are pictures of set of him standing on a box, <laughs> or they would dig a ditch for her to stand. <laughs> For all of the kissing scenes and all the scenes <laughs> where they need to see each other eye to eye. So, yeah, and I feel like they do a directors. lot of things to, you know, make, I mean, think about how tiny Tom Cruise is. He's like 5'5. Five five. Yeah. So he's probably really like 5'2. <laughs> and they make him look larger than life on screen, and it's all done through the magic of, you know, television. I think the whole reason he joined Scientology is they promised it could make him tall. And he can fly, of course. Yeah. Yeah, that, that, that was mean of me. <laughs> I apologize to all of our Scientologist listeners. Oh, yeah, yeah. Me too, I guess. Um, uh, so, Mickey, so uh, while we're, you know, as I'm, I'm getting, my mouth is getting me in trouble. Uh, I didn't watch the Emmys this year. Anything good? Anything? I, I didn't hear, I feel like I didn't hear just, much buzz about it. There wasn't anything to be too buzzy about. Um, Game of Thrones won a, you know, won what it needed to win. It, it could win all of the Emmys for all of the people. It was fantastic, but they did very well. One of the one of the shows that kept winning awards was called Fleabag, though, um, and it is a English comedy on Netflix. Mm-hmm. Which I mean, let's be honest. Normally, that's like right up my alley. However, I said, you know, I hadn't watched it. I couldn't remember why I hadn't watched it. And apparently, there were two whole seasons of it. This girl won for like best writing, best actress, best. I mean, it was ridiculous. So I go, and she was up against some really strong competition. So I started, you know what, I'll go ahead and give it a watch. And I got to tell you, I was not impressed. I mean, primarily, like, she's British with a dirty mouth who sleeps around. And I'm going to go with, and I'm not even this far into the show, I think that I have figured out that she probably slept with her boyfriend, or her best friend's boyfriend. And that is why her best friend killed herself. And now I would like to remind you that this is supposed to be a friggin' comedy. So if there's um, if there's ever been an example of uh, what you're probably witnessing here, Mickey, is the giant gap between people who are uh, uh, people who are critics, people whose job is to watch films, watch television shows, and tell other people what is good. And the, you know, average person who's probably only going to watch, uh, you know, five to ten movies in the theater a year, if that, uh, only going to watch one show a night and doesn't have a limited amount of time, you know, does have a limited amount of time to, to devote to this sort of thing. Uh, Mickey, what is your least favorite genre of, of TV or movies? That's tough because we've discussed, I'm not a big fan of sitcoms, but like my problem is what happened with this particular one mm-hmm. was it it's not really funny yeah it's, it's it's not funny it's like do you remember years ago there was a there was a jennifer aniston movie called the good girl and they called it a comedy and i still don't know why mm. and it, it was primarily because she was a blue collar working as a cashier who ended up having an affair with a younger man blah blah but like there was nothing comedic about it because uh, one, one of the things I interesting I that because my my feeling is is that if you by where I was going with this is that if you're a, a critic, and you end up watching every single show, right? 
Well, then, you know, there are, let's face it, there are a lot in, in every genre. There are a lot of action movies that are all kind of pretty much the same. There are a lot of uh, sci-fi movies that are all kind of pretty much the same. There, you know, so eventually you just begin to start yearning for anything different. And you get really excited when you see something different, mm -hmm. whether or not it's actually good. And in fact, it can actually be kind of terrible. And most people watching it are kind of, uh, you know, that's that's kind of, um, that's not that good. But you're like, no, but it's so transgressive and unusual and uh, uh, surprising and it defies expectations. Yeah, but it's not any good. <laughs> right. That'd be great if it were worth watching, but it's not. And I would have to say, you know, I watched several episodes of Fleabag, trying to give it a chance. I don't know if I'll go back to watching it to even bother finishing it. And you know, I actually went and finished 13 Reasons Why, because I started it, and I'm obsessive about that and can't stop, mm -hmm. usually. I don't feel that way about Fleabag. I'm not really all that connected to her as a character or any of the people around her. And on top of it, I feel like I've already figured out the great quote mystery. And so, blah. But yeah. people love this girl because she talks dirty and has an English accent. And yeah. <laughs> and the other thing, while we're on, that'll go a long way. I'm gonna I, exactly, but I'm gonna take you one step further and say the weirdest thing is when you do watch a lot of BBC, how basically there are only five working actors in England. <laughs> um, yes, there's an act. So I started uh, out of nowhere. You know, so Vicky, have you watched any of the Queen? Yes. Okay. What did you think of it? Because I, I watched the JF, the John F. Kennedy episode. I enjoyed it. I, yeah. I enjoyed it. Yeah. Are you talking about the Crown? I assume. That's a, yeah. I'm sorry. The Crown. Yes, okay, you got yes, it. Yeah. No, I've, I'm all caught up on the Crown. I've enjoyed it a great deal. Um, the reason I, I so I you had heard good things about it. Finally, it's like, all right, I'll check it out. Let's see what's happening. And uh, I, I'd heard people saying that the, in fact, that the episode that involved. Uh, uh, John F. Kennedy and uh, uh, Jacqueline Kennedy really was kind of surprising and kind of, you know, was a pretty, you know, unfortunate, uh, not a great portrayal of John F. Kennedy. And that got my interest. <laughs> that, I'm intrigued by that. Right. Um, you know, and it really is a, you know, a very negative portrayal of, uh, of certainly of John F. Kennedy and not the, you know, at, at least at one point, uh, uh, Jackie Onassis or, you know, Jackie, Jackie Kennedy does not come across mm -hmm. uh, particularly positive. Um, but, uh, I was like, oh, that's pretty good. I, and so I kind of, I kind of enjoyed it. It's like, okay. Um, and I was kind of in, intrigued by the, uh, opportunity there. I'm like, okay, this is, this might be a pretty good show. And of course now I find out that that's like near the end of the second season. And in the third season, they're totally changing the, the, uh, uh, the actress. Yes. <laughs> so, Claire you know. Foy is being, um, because they're going to the older queen and they felt like it was too much of a stretch, I think. Mm -hmm. um, but they're going to the older queen and Claire Foy, who was playing Queen Elizabeth, is out. And now it's the woman who was in Broadchurch, Fleabag. Um, yes. I this think every show like, oh, that, yeah. yeah. These, these actresses who never quite make, make it huge in the United States, but who are nonetheless... Um, uh, in, you know, who, who nonetheless you recognize the face because you've seen them from somewhere. So, yeah. Uh, oh, yeah. yeah. And she's been in, like I said, she has been in so many different things. And in fact, I believe she may have won the Emmy the other night for Best Supporting in a Comedy um, for Fleabag. I could be wrong about that. Mm -hmm. But um, but she was definitely nominated. I was going to say, again, we have a, um, 
we, we have a fascination with British uh, performers. And I think we, you know, I've a little joke that, you know, when you're um, a, uh, would, would your Southern people automatically deduct 10 IQ points from their, their perception of you? Yes. Um, and when you're British, I think people add 10 percentage points. Uh, you know, they basically At assume least. you're smarter. Absolutely. Um, Without a doubt. Every genius um, character in every, you know, children's cartoon has a British accent. Well, you see, blah, 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 you know, so. Yes, the British people are always smarter. But that's primarily just because they have a better grasp of the actual English language, not American. Totally True. different. Yeah. So. Yeah. So I, guess, I uh, so, Yeah, so I have been watching it. They've got this new girl coming in. She's not girl, as I said. She's been in a million other things. I think it'll be interesting. But it is fascinating to me that you literally see the same rotating actors and actresses in, in everything. And that's something that's very different than here. And, of course, we know why, because the BBC controls everything. They thank the BBC. Their name just made me giggle for some reason. Um, but the BBC controls everything, so they have all these people working. So you've got people who are doing comedies. You've got people who are doing dramas. You've got people who are doing horror, like Every genre they have to perform in because they might be one of only 10 working actors. Mm. I mean, I don't know whether it's a matter of they genuinely do better, uh, uh, whether it's if they, they have fewer actors or whether once you work very well, they're much more intrigued to uh, uh, kind of keep the focus on you. Uh, they know they're okay, we've got a really good actor, this person really nailed this part, let's try to uh. Uh, do you know do more yeah. of it um or or you know I mean, it, if it's nepotism and who you know and all that kind of usual stuff boy it seems to work better over there than it does for ours <laughs> right, <laughs> right? I, don't, I don't know i disagree i think that people get i mean we talked about what two episodes we talked about mia hawk yes right and there's no more nepotism than that but okay, but here's the thing. Wasn't she really good in Stranger Things? I thought she was pretty good, yeah. Um, I just, again, I'm not sure that, that anybody else couldn't have played the same role. I don't know. But I mean, like, these kids are getting callbacks because their names, you know, are Hawk or, uh, in the case of Will Smith, I guess it's just Smith. <laughs> ah. But, you know, the kids want to get involved in the business. It is a family business. And that's one thing I think the outsiders really don't necessarily recognize is it is very much a business for them. And so some of them will do everything in their power to keep their child away from that industry. And others will be like, okay, well, if this is what you want to do, then I'm going to support you and, you know, we're going to do this. But it is very much like a business. And, you know, can, can you imagine growing up in the shadow of some of these superstars like like what if your mom was julia roberts or worse yet jennifer lopez <laughs> and still like, making movies about strippers and well, uh it's not even that it's like if you are her daughter and she does have an adorable daughter but if you are her daughter and you're growing up and you're like yeah i'm never gonna be like as hot as my mom mm -hmm. they're gonna be as talented as my mom everyone's always gonna love my mom more I feel like I, during the teenage years, that would be like a nightmare. <laughs> I think that if you look, you know, um, I, we're, we're all uh, blessed or, or, you know, deal with the challenges that our parents present us. Uh, a lot of folks have always said, oh, I wish my father, I wish my parents were rich and famous and, you know, could, uh, uh, you know, make, uh, you know, this happen, you know, this happened or that happened or something like that. 
Well, you're always going to face the the accusations of nepotism. Um, and that's, I'm fine you know, with that. If my family were rich and famous, I would not give a shit if people accuse yeah. me of nepotism. And you know me. You know that's true. I would yeah. just be like, um, so? Yeah. I, I, so I, you know, because every once in a while the boys will say they want to be writers. And there's a part of me that's like, oh, it's so great. You know, they, they're impressed with what they think their dad, what their dad does is it matters. It's important. It's not. <laughs> you know? um, and there's a part of me. <laughs> Meanwhile, you're like, Maybe you should do something else. Don't you like science? Well, like kids, you like you're, ta- you're talented. You, like you can do anything. Why do you want to be like me? No. Um, anything this, in the world. This is somewhat tongue in cheek, but this is also a sense of uh, I would like them to go out and make their own name and and stand on their own two feet and be considered great for what they have done and not to be dealing with you know ah you know he just got uh, his start in the business because his dad's gym and, and all that kind of stuff. You know, it's. It, it, it sometimes it's fair, sometimes it's not fair. Um, I have friends who have famous parents in the business. I have friends who do not have famous parents in the business. I would yes. notice, Mickey, the friends who have famous parents in the business never want to talk about how they have famous parents in the business. Never. And it's kind of like to me, that's very fairly revealing. Now, the other thing also is, you know, if you're um, if you, if the if you have Italian restaurant Santorini and Sons or something like that, and you're Santorini, and all of a sudden you. Uh, uh, you know, take off all, all of a sudden, you know, like the, the, you know, daddy wants to retire and you take over the restaurant. You know, people don't complain about that, you know, because like, you know, to, to, you know, to, to contradict a recent president. Right. Yeah. You, you know, you built that somebody else didn't make that happen. Mm-hmm. Um, so, okay. You're fine. You've done it now for when it's Hollywood, when you know, everybody and their brother is, you know, wants to be a star and everybody and their brother, you know, dreams of getting their big break and being able to, you know, then yeah, maybe people are going to look a little differently at people who uh, kind of walk in and get a decent part early on in their career. But, uh, you know. It's very competitive. I think that people recognize, though, that in all industries, it doesn't matter what industry you're in, there's nepotism that goes on. Why? Because we're humans. And so, again, not necessarily my concern. Um, that was, I guess that would be the biggest thing I had as far as an Emmy wrap-up because I was just kind of really thrown by some of the choices that the Academy made. I feel like the one thing that hurt Game of Thrones was they split votes because they might have, they had like three people for each category. Um, yeah. Fortunately, still, Peter Dinklage won his category, but like, it is hard when you've got three people from the same show. Yeah, I, I've always, actually I have thought about that. With probably the you know, if you want to win, you probably don't want to get nominated along with somebody else in the same show. Um, right. Besides the fact if you're competing against your colleague, and you're probably you know, uh, I mean, I suppose you could always easily say, oh, you know, if I don't win, the best best thing is to you know, um, uh, to have my friend have, win. Yeah, have, you know, oh, if I got to lose to anybody, I got to you know, it's great to lose to you. It's like, oh, that's fine, that's great. But all do you in think all, that is what? Kamala Harris is going to say to Joe Biden on the next SNL. <laughs> All right. So, yes, thank you for bringing that up, Mickey, because I have been uh, thinking about this since. So I, I did not watch Saturday Night Live last Saturday Night Live, Saturday Night Live. Um, I came Wait, watch- did you just say I didn't watch Saturday Night Live live? Saturday Night Live. Um, I watched uh, I, I saw logged on, saw you were laughing about it on Twitter. And I was like, okay, uh, you know, all right, let's see. You know, it's, it's, Mickey's not reflexively going to laugh at everything that uh, Saturday Night Live does. No, but it should be noted that they opened with Woody Harrelson as the guest host, and I love him. He's hilarious. Yeah, oh yeah. 
Um, you want to talk about a guy who just kind of naturally, you know, uh, I would say everything except for um, what was the serial killer movie by Dolliver Stone? Natural Born Killers. Yeah, that, that, that was, was fantastic. No, it was bad. It was bad Mickey. Oh, but anyway, of course it was. Never mind. <laughs> you know that Iron Man was in that at the end. Yeah. Oh no, we, not at the end. He's definitely in. It's a big part in it. Uh, yes. Yeah. But anyway, so jumping over that. Uh, so, uh, like lots of folks, I, you know, I, I know everybody. There's a theory that everybody thinks the best Saturday Night Live was the show when the show was on in their early teen years, and they were kind of first discovering. They're first allowed to stay up late. They're first allowed to discover satire and parody and comedy and stuff. And I understand that theory, Mickey. Except the problem is that the funniest time really was the late '80s and early '90s in the era of Dana Carvey and Phil Hartman and. Dennis Miller and Kevin Nealon and Victoria Jackson and Jan Hooks and and the whole rest. What about uh, the people that did it in the seventies? It's you know, look, there are lots of good eras, but the best one was the one that when I was when I was the early, one when you were a teenager. That, that, in that case, it's scientifically proven. Yeah. <laughs> so of so course, Mike likes to jo- oh Saturday Night Dead. We haven't heard that before. People are always saying the show isn't as good as it used to be. Yada yada yada. But I, I think most people would say. That, in, in a wide variety, but I think a big chunk, you know, look, this, there's nothing wrong with making fun of the president. I make fun of the president a lot. I do think that when Alec Baldwin does Trump, you can feel the contempt that Alec Baldwin has for Trump and that everybody in the writing staff has for Trump and that every other actor in that, you know, like there's a, there's a nastiness to him. There's an utter, you know, disdain. I feel like a lot of times you know, they used to say that, um, what is it? Impersonation is the greatest form of flattery. Mm-hmm. And in this case, it's not. Um, no. <laughs> I think that it's been done with other times with other presidents, but they've always had kind of a, a lighthearted approach to it. And this has definitely been a much darker approach. I agree. It's because he, he hates him and whatever. Who cares? Yo, the best part of this is... episode, as far as the political, in my opinion, and as far as the political sketches went, was the debate. Um, I died. I died laughing during the debate. And here's here's something that I think is important to note, though. They pulled that off with the help of Woody Harrelson, Maya Rudolph, who they had to bring back, and Larry Davis, who came in to play uh, Bernie Sanders. So these were not all full-time cast members, and it was by far the best sketch. It was. And there's, you know, because they had kind of broken into this. Larry David had done Bernie Sanders a bunch of times last cycle. And part of it's the resemblance, part of it's the uh, persona of the irritable, cranky old man. But most people would say last time, wow, that was a really good impression. You know, it re- he looks like him, he sounds like him. It's very funny. Well, now I think it makes more sense. And again, Alec Baldwin is not, he's hosted a whole bunch of times, but he's not technically a regular cast member. But mm-hmm. they brought him in to do all the Trump sketches. Yes. Well, I, I think this format works very well for Saturday Night Live because... First of all, Woody Harrelson was really funny as Joe Biden. Um, and Maya Rudolph was Hilarious. really funny as Kamala Harris. Very, and, very good. Um, the only cast member who I felt like really nailed it was, um, uh, it's not Kirsten Wiig, the, the one who Kate played- McKinnon, who Kate McKinnon, who did Elizabeth Warren. Yeah, who was, I think she was pretty good as Warren, but I thought she was hilarious as Marianne Williamson. Uh, <laughs> yes. <laughs> And in fact, like, because that's the sketch we've been waiting for since the first time we heard Marianne Williamson's delightful voice on the debate stage, mm-hmm. you know? And it, it, the other thing is also- It was like, a yeah. really well-performed and well-acted sketch. Yeah, and, and none of them didn't drag on, you know? Mm-hmm. Was, you know, 
wasn't too mean. You know, this was this was definitely the jovial. This, was the kind, this is the kind of political humor you want to see. Yes. You know, and so my thought was, and I'm glad you had the same reaction, Mickey. And I, I was like, yeah, I, I completely, you know, second your reaction on Twitter because I was like, OK, well, am I am I just laughing at this because they're making fun of Democrats or am I making am I laughing at this because it's actually genuinely funnier than most of their sketches lately? And I think the reaction on all over social media and everything indicates, no, this was just a really, really funny sketch helped by four or five performers who just nailed exactly the right tone to make fun of the you know yeah and and i'm telling you i did i i did not know how much i needed to see woody harrelson be joe biden yeah until he did it and then i i was sitting here laughing out loud by myself like an idiot because it was hilarious i do encourage you if you have not yet seen this sketch go look it up google it again it's the snl skit with the democrat debate and I mean, when when Maya Rudolph did Kamala Harris and said, I'm the cool aunt who will buy you weed and then arrest you yes. for that weed, I was like, nailed it. Like, you just nailed it. And, of course, when every time that Woody Harrelson would be talking and then end every sentence with Barack. Yeah. You know, um, I mean, every one of the, you know, every one of the jokes felt fair, dare I say. You know, yes. that, that, you well, know, they, they were felt appropriate. Like, yeah. again, they weren't mean, um, but they were very topical based on the things that they're dealing with in the press right now. Yeah. Um, and, you know, again, what I think a lot of us who, you know, I've, I've, again, you know, does this of course they can make still make fun of Trump. Of course, they can still make fun of Republicans. There's there's never going to be a shortage of material there. But all things, you know, but we've been waiting for this for a long time. And finally, it was not a, a uh, you know, a gentle brush off. They really enjoyed making fun. You know, I think they enjoyed, I think they enjoyed it. Yeah. I think they prepared for these characters and they yeah. did enjoy it. I think the other part of it, too, is, I mean, think about it. Like, they've almost had to create characters around Trump for the last couple seasons because he's got a fairly dull cabinet. Yeah, I mean, I know everybody loved. Uh, oh, actually, Melissa McCarthy as Sean Spicer. Like, it, there really so dumb, is a. But whatever. Yeah, no, but like, there's there there really is a. Uh, they get, they got into the habit of um, bringing people in to to play a particular person. Mm-hmm. And I suppose it's kind of interesting to see you know a woman playing a man and all that kind of stuff. But it really, all in all, uh, I, yeah, a little bit of that went a long way in yes. in, in my sense. And also, like again, you know, Sean Spicer wasn't around that long. <laughs> you know? Right. So, um, right. And, and again, like I said, you know, I think I, I can't think of one of the episodes that I've watched in the last couple of years where there was a character around Trump that felt three dimensional. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, they, they, you know, I, I, I guess that's the thing is like the, the uh, portrayal of Jeff Sessions, uh, again, by Kate McKinnon, mm-hmm. um, you know, it, 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 Although it felt he like... is a little evil elf. So, you know. Well, you know, the, the whole Keebler jokes and all that kind of stuff. It, <laughs> it, it felt like they were trying to make something much funnier than it, something really funny happen. And I think that one of the things, the problems they run into is they find someone they want to like rail on and then decide like they're going to build this character around them. And sometimes there just isn't enough there. Yeah, the, the, I guess, the, like, again, the, the other thing is compared to, look, Trump is on the news and talking about stuff every single day. Quick, remember what Jeff Sessions' voice sounded like, right? I mean, most people. Oh, you know, you know, again, you know, in he was an era, squeaky of, and southern. 
Yeah, right. The, 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 in other words, I don't know if we were seeing enough of these figures who were supposed to be, um, you know, uh, uh, you know, detested and these perfect uh, uh, targets for mockery and stuff like that. Um, again, I don't think that they really. I, again, the audience, the, the in-studio audience laughed. I don't know how much it really resonated out beyond. Uh, people who are already looking for laugh applause or something like that one. Um, well, this was, and you know, again, you know, a studio audience is no good. They've been drinking all day and they put them in yeah. there and they tell them when to clap. So, you know. The warm-up comedian is there. Yeah. To, you know. <laughs> like, there's a lot to that. But again, I just feel like that was, it was a really nice open for me um, in watching Saturday Night Live. I didn't even notice any of the new characters except for the kid who played um, Andrew Yang in the debate. Yeah, and by the way, like you know, talk about a nice, easy lob. You know, he right. he's got one funny line, <laughs> and the, and it was kind of funny. I'm giving away money. I should be above above six, you know, sixth place or something. But uh, uh-huh. but again, the other thing is that nobody's really like nobody's itching to see Andrew Yang get made fun of yet. Right. Right. No, but no, he's kind of like the nice guy who's running yeah. and you know whatever. There's not much there to make fun of. Uh, the joke about Cory Booker was mostly that he, no, you know, he he's at five whatever percent in the polls. You know, all this stuff. You know, just, <laughs> just more of that. <laughs> Live, you you know, that one you hit it out of the park. You know, and, uh, and again, I get, and again, I you know, I understand that they were in fact making fun of Democrats, which is different. But I think more importantly, it was just funny. I think that anyone who watched that would feel like it was funny. Yeah. Oh, um, actually, and you know who I should give credit to, who I don't usually. Uh, not usually a fan of um, Cicely Strong, right? Was played uh, Aaron Burnett, the the moderator. Yes. And every one of those wacky performances, she had to go with some sort of reaction to it as kind of the straight man. And you know the old mm-hmm. saying that you know in comedy it's much harder to find a straight man than to find the wacky part of a duo. No, uh, and she did an excellent job with it. Right, and she just kind of has to you know the, these are your choices, America. Good luck, <laughs> you know. <laughs> She had to speak for us, and I, you know, the, the, I, I will say, actually, what's Cicely Strong does, um, drunk girl at party or something? Oh yes, yeah. This that's is, that's pretty. This is a much stronger like role for her, definitely. Yeah. Um, I think she definitely fell into that. Mm. And uh, and so again, I, I hope that they kind of continue along that path. Um, I know we're, we're kind of running a little bit long here, and I know we talked about the Joker briefly. Um. During the last episode, there have been some movement on that, though. Yeah. Just kind of an update to the story because uh, there are now theaters that are not going to show it. Okay. So what I had noticed was uh, one of the big channels, Alamo Drafthouse, said they were evaluating security and contemplating having more security in place. Um, We talked a little bit about this two episodes ago, so I don't want to rehash it too much. Again, you know, the, one of the points that I tried to make with my original corner post, and I'm not sure how many people paid attention, was, you know, there, there's room between everything is hunky-dory and everything's totally okay, and I want to ban this, right? And judging from the trail, look, maybe the, the, you know, the trailers are really misrepresentative or something, but it looks like a story of a guy who feels like he's endlessly crapped upon by society. Mm-hmm. And he deals with it by becoming the Joker, and the Joker kills people, right? And right. so... This sneaking, Again, we've discussed the anti-hero aspect of it. Uh, what I found, I think, is kind of new and different, so to speak, is that now you've got actual theaters, like one, stepping up security. The parents in Aurora, Colorado, where the man actually dressed up as the Joker, remember? 
um, and came in and shot at the mm-hmm. movie theater. They're protesting it. They have problems with it. They feel like um, they could be if you, they feel like they could be doing more for the families. I guess um, since they were going to be profiting off of what the families feel they kind of created in the fear of. Um, and so it's a, it's a weird situation. It's very odd. I'm never down for banning anything. You know this. Yeah. Um, yeah. However, I don't think I'll go see it. But that's because one, I'm not really like you know me. I go see the like the Avengers. That's my thing. I went and saw like the good Batman's. Um, but so it's I'm not their target audience. Like I don't know how that's gonna work or how it's gonna play with their target audience. Because keep in mind, their target audience are people that would. Yeah, some people would be excited by the idea of other people being yeah, like, offended um, by it. You know what yeah. I mean? So there's like, there's a lot of mix going on here. For me, you know, so, it's a joker. He's dressed like a clown. No, thank you. Yeah, ma- you know, but it's worth noting the Matrix came out in 1999, not too long after the, um, uh, not too long after the uh, Columbine shootings. And there was all the talk about the trench coat mafia and all that mm-hmm. kind of stuff. And of course, what are they wearing in the Matrix? Well, trench coats. And mm-hmm. what are they doing? They're shooting stuff up and they look oh, awesome mm-hmm. and badass as they do it and all that kind of stuff. And that's fine. Um, but, you know, the idea of pe- people were a little unnerved, but I don't remember there being any violence at uh, stuff. But look, you know, we just had two really awful mass shootings in the country. I think it's pretty understandable people who are on edge on this. And again, doesn't mean, you know, ban the movie. It doesn't mean. Um, uh, you know, no one should be allowed to see it. I just, you know, this is probably... So how, the- okay, Mr. Worrywart. Okay. How would you fix it then? You're saying, I don't want to ban the movie. Yeah. I don't want, I want to make people be able to see it. So then, then what's your, what's the solution? It is I, rated R, so you're not supposed to be able to get in unless you're over 17. Yeah. Um, I mean, as I, far as I'm concerned, that's all they need to do. Yeah. I mean, again, I don't know what... Um, at this stage in the process, you should just, you know, take the appropriate security precautions and release the movie and see what happens. I, you know, I don't, you know, I don't, th- I, you know, I'm not going to say, ah, restrict, you know, you know, burn the, the reels and, and all kind of stuff. It, well, that's, that's, that is why you have to be like, that's why that fine line is there. And I'm here to remind you of yeah. it. Well, my, where I'm going really, at is the. We really can't stop anybody from marrying anything like that. And in this particular case, like I said, the one thing they've got in place is that it is set up so that, you know, it's obviously not a children's film. Mm-hmm. Um, they're not misleading people into that. Um, I also think that beefing up security has been happening over the years at these movie theaters anyway because of what happened at the Aurora Theater. However, I'm sure that they, you know, might want to throw a little extra on guard just in case someone gets a little, you know, whatever. But... I legitimately feel, and I know this is weird, but I almost feel like it's it's oddly part of the whole marketing idea of it. Um, because anytime that, you know, a movie gets, again, anytime a movie gets banned or gets panned as being too violent or too this or too that or, you know, it's just too much, people line up for days to see that shit. Mm-hmm. So. Yeah. So, right, so let me, actually, this would be actually a really good point for us to close out on. And I need to, uh, there's, uh, so this, the thing of this as the surreptitious, not quite spoiler, but uh, Mickey, in fact, I, I'm breaking news to you right here on the podcast. So I finished the first draft of the sequel to Between Two Scorpions. It will be coming to you very shortly. Woo! Uh, so after making the bad guys in the last one as, uh, 
alien, not in the extraterrestrial sense, but is in the mysterious and hard to understand as possible. I decided for the second, the villain in the second one had to be somebody who was really understandable, where, where as much as the villain was doing bad things, you kind of understood why he was doing these things. Um, I think probably the, the apex example of this comes from Ed Harris's character in The Rock, uh, who's taking, who ends up taking uh, hostages and Alcatraz, but he's trying to do it to get death benefits for his guys who've been killed on covert missions, and the government's trying to cover it up. Ed Harris is totally the hero of that movie. He is totally doing the right thing. In that, you know, you know. I just need um, you to understand that I'm just mostly looking forward to where I start showing up in the Oh, it's 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 coming, leaders. You know, um, the so so I did so I the guy. You know, when when he his motive becomes clear, um, he basically makes his argument against America. Uh, he is very much an anti-American, but he's a guy who once really loved this country, and he's very disappointed with this country in a lot of ways. And I'm doing my best to not make it a political screed. Um, it it's not you know partisan or anything. He just believes that a lot of ways we're not living up to our values. And I define that as broadly as possible. And so my thinking is that by the end of it, you get to, oh, wow, okay, I can see why this guy, you know, I don't agree with what he's doing, but I can see why he's so angry at America and why he feels like something. You gave him a backstory that makes sense. Yeah. um, where, Where you might, you know, say, okay, you're going about it the wrong way, but okay, yeah, you know, there are things wrong with this country and there are times we've forgotten our values and there are times where we, you know, um, and it is a, um, you know, so the question is, you know, now again, will, will anybody be inspired to do the terrible acts that he does in this film, in this uh, book, uh, because of, because of the book? Boy, I certainly hope not. You know, I don't, I, my argument is not to say that he's justified. Uh, right. so the question is, when do you start reaching into that area? Which where, is why I say you don't. Yeah. But a question of like, by making a guy who feels like he's been treated unfairly by the world and responds to it through murder. Well, you know, there are, you know, in real life, we have a lot of people who believe they've been mistreated by the world and are attempting to deal with it through murder. And it's bad. <laughs> you know, I think it's pretty, uh, uh, you know, when you, when you see things that have happened in recent, uh, uh, I don't know. I, it's, I've this tried to give this a little thought since the last time we talked about it because, you know, I'm, I, I hold so strong to the, the idea of, specifically with art and other things, on that First Amendment hinge. So I'm, you know, even though it's not my thing, obviously I will support it. But I guess where I, I, I kind of look at it and I wonder and, and will always believe that anything can inspire crazy. Um, and so that's why we can't hold artists responsible for that. But again, at the same time... Do you think that it's going to affect the actual box office numbers, or do you think that it's going to bring people out in hordes to see it? I don't think it will affect the box office numbers nearly as much as trying to create what looks like Martin Scorsese's The Joker. Okay. Right? You know, a a film that looks very gritty, very based, basically like the story of a crazy man who believes that he's the Joker. Um, but who all really, I think is, you know, indistinguishable from your garden. Right. Like if they had made a quasi sympathetic, uh, this is the story of, um, John Wayne Gacy, mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, I don't think it would look, uh, all that different from what we're, uh, and I don't know anything about the Joker. I don't know how it ends, but I do know how most of these movies end again, something I've given some thought to since we last spoke on it. And, and in truth, even though we often have anti-villains in the movies, 
um, or I'm sorry, anti-heroes in the movies mm-hmm. and these, yeah. they're very near villains, um, sometimes full-on villains that we're supposed to, you know, be paying attention to as our main protagonist. A lot of times they die at the end. Yeah, there's a consequence to it. Yes, there is a consequence to it. So, you know, so I think that that also well, is something to consider when, you know. Yeah. There, I mean, here's, here's consequences. No. What, <laughs> just, what, like, what, just like Friday the 13th teaches you not to have sex and do yeah. drugs because you could get killed. Same thing. I was going to say, we know at some point, you know, this movie is going to have bad things happen to Arthur Fleck, A. Fleck. In other words, yes, his first initial and last name spell Affleck. Clearly, somebody hates Ben over there. Oh, um, wow. At some point, something's going to happen um, where he decides to become the Joker. And the assumption is at some point, the audience would say, oh, I related to him up until now, and now I don't. I felt sympathy up until now, and now I don't. Now he's crossed a line where no matter how unfair society seems no matter how unfair how you know he can't you know this this mass murdering spree or something and again i I can't imagine you make a warmer friendlier uh version of the joker (laughs) you know like where he well he's terrible but he he scares people but he doesn't kill people you know um killing people has kind of been you know at the core of the character that's kind of his thing right yeah you know um that th- this is kind of you know, and again, th- he's very vengeful. His entire storyline is all about revenge and vindictiveness. Like he doesn't have anything else really working on him or with him outside of his absolute need for revenge all the time against yeah. people who may or may not have actually done anything to him. Yeah, I was about to say that like the character doesn't. Um, a lot of people have argued, I think, reasonably accurately, the character doesn't need explanation, and efforts to explain them um, does not. Uh, again, this you're you're trying to take away the mystery of a character in which the whole appeal of the character is the mystery. But uh, hey, it's Hollywood. What do they know? I was going to say we shall see. Um, have you seen it yet? Are you going to see it? When does it open? Uh, opens up, I believe, in a couple of weeks. Uh, maybe next week. In fact, uh, okay. I, they are clearly aiming for Halloween uh, right. type season. You know, and it's it's got you know kind of if, psychological horror element. I think to it. <laughs> Um, and you know, I'll, will I end up seeing it? Eh, probably. Um, mm-hmm. Not sure if it's the. Uh, do I go out to see? Pro- not going out opening weekend. Right. <laughs> if anybody's going to do something crazy, they're going to do it opening weekend. Oh uh, my god, Jim, you are such a handful. I'm going to get you like a really good shrink to talk to. I promise. Ah, you know. But you know, I get it. But again, if you live in fear, the terrors win, Jim. Yeah. Okay. Also. <laughs> Going to the theaters is kind of a pain. Like, like nobody was, you know, you could tell me there's an excellent chance somebody's going to try to kill you at the next Avengers movie. And I'd be like, ah, I'll take that chance. This is what I'm saying. Like, yeah, oh, it's also because I know the Avengers movie is going to be good. Exactly. So it really doesn't matter. I'm not taking this risk with a Joker because it may not be a good movie. Right. That's the, that's the other thing. If it was a good movie, you'd be like, okay, you know. Yes, I will definitely take this risk. But we don't know if it's going to be a good movie or not. Okay. And I think I told you guys this. Um, but it was recently shown at, I think it was a cons, um, and it got like a standing ovation. Yeah. So, but again, as we discussed earlier, that doesn't mean anything because that can mean the critics like it, but normal people think it's stupid. Now yeah. we have run crazy long today. And there is one thing that I want to say before we wrap all of this up, mm-hmm. since you guys have been hearing my Gibbs like boat being built in the background, do recall that at one point they went downstairs and the boat was gone. 
and he started building another one. And that was kind of part of the Gibbs mystery. Narrative. Yes, mm-hmm. mystery. Whatever. What happened to that other boat? And, you know. and how did he get it out? <laughs> That's a really good point. Mm-hmm. Although I guess maybe the question is like um, some version of is there a, like is there a side door to that uh, basement that we just never get a chance to see? There, there was I believe there was even character discussion about how did he get it out of the basement. Oh, okay. All right. Well, there you go. There but you go. Um, but I did want to mention that it, there was a time that he finished one of the Kellys and it was it was out of the basement and then he was started a brand new one. Mm-hmm. So. Well, there you go. So yeah, that you know, that's what they'll reveal in the final episode. That should be the grand finale. That should be the grand finale. Yes, that would be fantastic. Um, we didn't get around to it this week. Maybe I'll talk about it uh, next week. But I do want to talk to everybody and encourage you guys to check out a Netflix show. It's a uh, limited series event called Unbelievable, um, and I really do encourage you to check it out. It's based on a true story, and it is truly unbelievable and worth watching. Uh, Jim, anything they should be keeping an eye out for you this week? Uh, um, beyond political realm, no. Look, you know, football season will be somewhat interesting when Sam Darnold comes back from uh, uh, mono. Oh, the joke is we're waiting to see white smoke coming from Jets headquarters out of uh, there. Um, when Aww. I say white smoke, it's not a, a joke about the Pope. It's whether they're burning his velveteen rabbit. Oh, um, <laughs> Well, we'll be sure to keep an eye out for that. And guys, you heard the spoiler alert. There is a sequel to Between Two Scorpions coming. And uh, that would be a a fantastic, dangerous, quick new novel coming out. But if you have not yet, please do go out and grab yourself on Amazon Between Two Scorpions by our very own Jim Garrity. And uh, thanks again for listening this week. I want, again, I brought it up at the beginning of the show, but I really do want to thank everybody. We had amazing listens over the last two episodes. And if this continues, you know, who knows? Maybe Jim and I'll do it more frequently. Just kidding. We're doing it as often as we can. <laughs> uh, <laughs> we're doing it as often as we can right now. Um, but anyway, we really do appreciate your listening. So please, when you uh, are listening to us now, whether it's at iTunes or SoundCloud or wherever you, whatever podcast you use or listen to, hit subscribe and you'll never miss another one of our episodes. And we also ask you to go ahead and share it with somebody if you think it's worth it. Uh, see if they will like it too. And uh, so we're going to call it a day for now. I am Mickey White. He is Jim Garrity. You are listening to the one, the only Jim and Mickey show.